It's good to see everybody today. I have to preach a sermon that I, for some reason, am very nervous about. I'm more nervous about today's sermon than I've ever been before in my life. And I think it's because I've been through a lot of emotion this past week. And so pray for me and with me that God will give me strength to get through this today because it's been difficult. But God is good, so good. And I hope to share with you just how good he is in today's message. If you have your Bibles with you, we want to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We've reached the last chapter in the book of Hebrews, and we'll be here for a little while. As you know, Hebrews was filled with many teachings of theology. And I know that's maybe not always fun to listen to. A lot of it is in depth, but now in chapter 13, it becomes a very practical teaching. A teaching of love for one another. Today's sermon is entitled, Love Without Bounds. Boundless love. Stand with me, please, as we look at Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 3. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Amen. You may be seated. Today, I think I'll do things a little bit differently because I want to share a testimony that will end up leading into today's message. As I approached chapter 13 this past week, or a couple of weeks ago, it's a teaching about love for one another. And many times when I read the Bible and I ask God to help me learn what He's saying, many times He'll lead me to other scriptures. He'll lead me to other things that have been going on. And so I kind of, I, I do as much studying as I can but I always pray that the Holy Spirit will teach me the truth of what I'm reading. And I think this past week, God decided to show me what He means by these verses. To show me what love is. And He did so. Last Saturday, I took my daughter, my youngest daughter, Ella, to the doctors. If you don't know, I have a I have four daughters. My youngest one is Ella, 12 years old. She usually sits here at the front. Today she's in the hospital, uh, hopefully not too much longer. She's been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which is uh, a hereditary type thing. It's nothing that she did. It's nothing we did wrong. It's just a part of her body. Can't create enough insulin to handle the sugar that comes into the body and and so I found out on Saturday because of all these symptoms, they just kept coming and I didn't understand what it was. And finally on Saturday, I tell you with no doubt in my mind, God told me in my heart, check her blood sugar and do it now. I never even thought of doing that. All this time we're thinking that she's going through puberty, she's 12, Hormones are changing, and so that's why she's... But no, for some reason, 
on Saturday, check her sugar. And I knew God told me to do it, so I did it. And when I checked her blood sugar Saturday morning, it was over 400, her blood sugar. So I took her to the doctor. They did another blood test to find out that she was indeed at a level that is diabetic. Took her to a doctor Saturday night, and he said on Monday, you need to take her to the hospital, make an appointment, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, take her to see a specialist because she needs to be dealt with. So on Saturday, I tried to not give her any sugars, no carbohydrates. On Sunday, she came to church. She never wants to miss church. Again, I didn't give her any sugars or carbohydrates, and of course she was weak. And then Monday morning, I knew she wasn't well enough to go to school, so I said, stay home from school. Don't worry, this afternoon we'll go to the doctor. I said, text me if anything goes wrong. And when I got to school, she had texted me, Dad, I threw up. And I knew this is an emergency situation. I believe God had told me on Saturday to check her sugar. Because if I didn't do that, Monday morning when she told me she threw up, I would have told her to just lay down, go back to bed, take it easy. And if I had done that, I truly believe she would have been dead within three hours. But when all this happened, I called some people, my wife did too, she was in Korea all this time. Some ladies from the church and some family brought her to the hospital and I got there as soon as I could. By the time I got there, there is something called ketoacidosis. And yes, I've been practicing that word all week so I could say it right today. Ketoacidosis. It develops in a child whose blood sugar is out of control and it becomes deadly for a child. And so I was there with her. She was breathing heavily and quickly. She was scared. Doctors were sort of scrambling around trying to figure out what to do. And then another doctor came who did a wonderful job, Dr. Rosa. If any of you have young kids that need a pediatrician, I will recommend this Dr. Rosa to you. She was professional, she was quick, and she knew what to do. Well, the next step for Ella was to get a CT scan on the brain. Because the problem with this sugar and ketoacidosis is swelling in the brain. And so they were about to take her to have a scan done. They called the diabetic doctor who wasn't there. And get this, the diabetes doctor has had four, I believe, four heart attacks in the last couple of years. When they called her, she was still in the ICU room herself. She was in a coma herself. She was flatlined. In other words, her heart was stopped and they had to shock her back to life again. That's the diabetes doctor. They called her to say, here's what's happening. The next step is to get a brain scan. And that's the next step, of course. The doctor said, I believe in my heart, God is saying. How many doctors say something like that? How many doctors would say that? I believe in my heart that God is saying, start an insulin drip now. Because normally you do the brain scan first, then the insulin drop. She said, don't do it. Do it now. And so they started insulin to lower the sugar and hopefully start to recede the brain swelling. Ellen had a brain scan and I learned later that the doctor said she truly believes if that insulin drip did not begin at that moment, Ella would be dead by the time they're doing a brain scan. 
Well, they did a brain scan and we just have to wait. I was told that she is in pre-coma. She does have some consciousness, but they sedated her. There is significant swelling in the brain. They've started insulin drip and they started a medicine to hopefully lower her blood sugar and to help the swelling. And so then they told me that she's sedated, but if she's sedated too long, she could slip into a full coma. And if we wake her up now, she may panic and she's already breathing very horribly and it may turn into something worse. And I said, so then what do we do? Which one are you going to do? And the response was, pray for the best. And then I had to leave the ICU room and I wasn't allowed to see her anymore. Talk about a stressful moment. My oldest daughter, Rachel, was there. She knew all that was happening. And then my other daughter, Amelia, just got there. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This was from 7 in the morning or so until 3 in the afternoon. My youngest daughter, my other daughter got there. And I had to explain to her all that had happened because she thought, Ella's in the hospital, we're going to see her and she's going to get medicine and go home. And we had to tell her all that was happening and all that could happen. And so I was bringing Amelia, preparing her for what she's about to see because my daughter had IVs everywhere, oxygen mask, and it didn't look good at all. Her color was bad. Her eyes were dark around the skin area. And when I brought my daughters back into that room, I saw Dr. Rosa talking to someone in the room and working with the machine. And I thought, who is she talking to? And as I looked, my daughter Ella is looking at me. And I said, Ella, are you awake? And Dr. Rosa said, the swelling has gone down. I just turned off the sedation and she just woke up. And so I basically fell on my daughter, hugging her, loving her, and crying with her. And they said, the next problem is this, because her brain swelled like that, we have to make sure that she's able to respond to you, that she can know who you are, that you can say something to her and she can follow your command. And then I said, Ella, do you see me? Do you see Rachel and Yaya and, and Amelia? Yes. I said, I love you. And she just went, huh. I said, Ella, is there anything I can do for you? And she, with the oxygen mask, she went, uh. So I took it off and I said, what do you want? I want something to drink. <laughs> and so I, I got water and she sipped it. And so right now, yes, Ella has been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. It's a lifelong thing unless God heals the pancreas completely, which she can do. But right now she is wonderful today. Her blood sugar is absolutely stable. She is energetic. Her color is beautiful. She's got rosy cheeks right now. She, she wants to come home, but she is at her same old goofy self. And somewhere on somebody's phone, she's listening to me. Ella, you are so loved by God. The doctor said, she came in to see us. The doctor's in a wheelchair. She spent a year in coma. The fact that she is alive is unheard of. She came to the room because she wanted a picture with Ella. Why? Because she said she has never seen anyone in all the years of practice, never saw anyone with that severe of blood sugar and ketoacidosis. 
And not only that, but for Ella, for, for anybody to have even close to what Ella had, usually they go into a coma for at least 9 to 12 days. And she said, your daughter woke up in six hours. And she said, your daughter is a miracle from God. And I shook that woman's hand and I said, amen. Praise the Lord. And so I'm thinking right now, as the, the more we think about what happened with Ella, there are so many things that happened that had to happen if this person didn't do that, if this person didn't say this, if that doctor died in her coma, if God didn't save her life, all of these things, if all these things didn't happen, Ella wouldn't be alive today. And that tells me that our God has a sovereign hand of power. And He knows how to deal with every detail of the story. And I know the rest is not finished yet. I believe that even the doctor said to Ella, Ella, you have to learn now to be disciplined. This is something that you're going to have and you're going to have to discipline yourself. But even the doctor said, this discipline, God's going to teach you something from this. God's going to teach you to help somebody else. And that really revived my daughter. And I said the same thing. Ella, evidently, number one, you are so loved by God. Number two, evidently, God has a plan for your life. And it wasn't time for you to go home yet. And I am so happy that God didn't take her home just yet. I'm so happy that after church, she gave me instructions today. She said, Dad, when you're done preaching, stop everything. Stop what you're doing. Don't talk to people. Just come back to the hospital and be with me again. So I'm going to follow her order today. So when I'm done, I may not go to the fifth floor. I may go right back to the hospital and just be with her. But she is wonderful today. Now, what does all this have to do with love without bounds? It has everything to do with it because of all of you. So many of you. Because you showed me. You showed my family. You showed Ella great love and great comfort this past week. Normally, I am on the other side of things. Normally, I'm going to people who are in need. I'm the one that goes to the hospital to pray with people. This time, I was there. And you, my family, you came to where I was. And I know many of you I didn't get to see because I was somewhere else, but you went to see Ella to pray for her. And Ella's thankful too. Today, I'll continue more about this story. But in what we just read, these three verses, we focus on love. And we focus on, number one, the advance of love. Number two, the act of love. And we'll end with number three, the art of love. So let's begin in the sermon, Love Without Bounds. Number one, the advance of love. Very simply, let brotherly love continue. Let it continue. Do you know the readers of this original letter to the Hebrews Remember that these were Jewish people who just became Christian. 
And in making that decision to follow Christ, their Jewish families excommunicated them. They had nothing to do with them anymore. These new Christians were not allowed in the synagogue anymore, not allowed at home, not allowed in the community. In fact, there were parents who would hold a funeral for their son or daughter if they turned to Jesus. Because according to the parent, you are now dead to me. So here are these people, their lives given to Christ, and all their family has forsaken them. But there's a greater family. There's a family which has deeper significance. There is a family that's tied together with deeper, stronger ties. And that is the family of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ. It is the church. And the writer of Hebrews is telling all of us, allow this love, this brotherly love, this family-like love, let it continue. And the very word continue, it implies he's not saying, now that you're a family of God, try to find love for each other. Try to pray that God will give you the love to share with somebody else. No. Because he's saying let it continue, it means it's already there. Love has already flowed into this church. And love is already in our church today. And so we're encouraged to allow this love that's already here to continue. And never let anything stop it. Never let anything become a wedge in our unity and love for one another. Love. I say it's already here. Because when we become a Christian, the Bible says that the love of God is poured into your life. And in the book of Hebrews, we have spoken so many things about the evidence of a truly saved person. Like faith. Faith that is doing and not just talking. Like receiving chastisement from God. Because God chastises His children. And He does it in love. But now we find out, and in other places of the Bible, love is one of the greatest evidences that you truly are a saved man or woman. Jesus taught us this. He spoke to the disciples and He said, by this, by this one thing right here, all will know that you are My disciples. What is this one thing? If you love one another. And you know, after Jesus says that, you can find more than a dozen times through the rest of the New Testament, this command is given over and over again. Love one another. It is the greatest proof and evidence that we are the children of God. And the Bible goes on to say, if you say, I love God, and you hate your brother or sister, the truth is not in you. You're lying. If you are truly born again, God has poured His love into you. It's there. It's there already. So it's time to learn 
to let that love flow into somebody else's life. We're not searching for the love. It's there. How did it get there? Because the Bible teaches that God has poured His love through the Holy Spirit into our lives. It's God, the one who loved us first. The one with everlasting, we call it agape love. He poured that love into our lives. It's the kind of love that bears all things. That is patient. That believes all things. Unfailing love. And as God, God's love has flown into us, we then return that love to Him but we also flow it outward to each other. The love of God. David, Papa David, there you are with your daughter next to you. Congratulations, David and Riska, on your newborn daughter. Praise the Lord. And it's so good to have you here in church today. Amen. This is her first Sunday here, right? Okay, so I'll try to talk softly. She'll have to get used to my loud voice, I guess, sometimes. Anyway, the more we love Jesus, the more we're going to love people. The more we spend time with Jesus, we're going to see other people the way Jesus sees them. And our heart is going to beat with compassion for them, just like His does. So the encouragement is, let it continue. And as I look at all of you right now, I'm, I am so thankful to have this church as my family. We are so, I don't know, we're, we're all different. A lot of you are really different. But we're all from different walks of life, right? How many of you sitting here today, by show of hands, are not from Indonesia? All right. How many of you, this, this is this particular church. Yes, we're a Christian church, but denominationally speaking, we would call ourselves Pentecostal. Pentecostal because we believe in the New Testament church. We believe the power of the Holy Spirit, what He did in the New Testament church, He still does today. That's a big reason to be called Pentecostal. How many of you, though, don't come from a Pentecostal background? Anybody? Wow. So how are we all together right now? How are we making this work? Even in our differences, even in our different backgrounds, how are we sitting side by side right now? It's because the love of God is in you. And that love doesn't get spoiled over what might be a minor difference or this tradition or that culture. This love binds us together in the name of Jesus. Amen? Let this love continue. And what you showed to me and my family this past week, let it continue. God will give us opportunity to display this love. He'll open doors for us to display it. Because after all, real love is something that is displayed. It's not something that's just talked about. It's displayed. It's not, I love you. No. It's what we do for one another. Which brings us to point number two about love. The act of love. The act of love. Verse two, 
Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty neat verse. Do not forget to entertain strangers. That word entertain means to show hospitality, to show care and concern, to provide. Showing hospitality to someone in need. Again, the Christians, the very first Christians who read this letter, they were under persecution. Many of them lost their homes. Many of them were already in jail. Some died. Many of them lost their families. Many of them lived the rest of their lives wandering from place to place. And under Caesar, Nero, and Domitian, persecution was heavy under Rome. And so, if we were living in those days in our own home, one day we might get a knock on the door because there's a Christian who's lost everything and they're looking for a place to stay. And so the encouragement here is open your door and take care of your brother or sister. Show them hospitality. Don't just open the door and say, be blessed in the name of the Lord and then shut the door. That is not love. Love is come in. Let me get you something to eat. Let me get you a warm blanket. Let me help you regain your strength so you're ready to move on when you're ready. Love is doing, not just saying. This past week, many of you showed love, especially to me. Have you ever gone to a hospital or to a funeral? Maybe for a family or a friend or you're just paying your respects at the hospital or the funeral. But do you ever get there and you have no idea what you're supposed to say? What do you say? What do you say to a father who just lost his child? What do you say to a, a, a husband whose wife is in the IC room? Or to a child whose father or mother is very close to death's door? What do you say? Sometimes we don't know what to say. But you know what? That's okay. The very fact that you show up shows and displays love. In fact, sometimes I think we, we become, we think that we have to say something. We've got to say something. The problem is a lot of times what you say helped nothing at all. And so the wise thing to do sometimes is just be quiet. Be quiet. Just be there. And many of you came. You didn't require me to entertain you with conversations. You just sat in a chair next to me. Some of you came. And when I would tell somebody about what was happening, it was very hard for me to not cry. And you know, even men need the touch from another man sometimes. Sometimes I would cry and a man, a friend of mine, would come and just rub my back. And normally I, I don't need that or care for that, but it was comforting. Sometimes a hand would just go on the shoulder just to remind me you're not alone. Sometimes, whether it's Julio or Felix or Frank, 
I get a nice manly hug when I see them. And there are times where that feels so good. Some of you prayed for me. And I can tell you right now, church, when a mother prays, probably the greatest prayer you'll ever hear. I don't know why it is. There's something about the prayer of a mother that brings such hope into a person's life. A prayer of a mother is full of faith and hope and encouragement. And so like when Ina prayed for me, Ina didn't even speak in English. She did it in Bahasa, Indonesia. But I could just feel the prayer of a mother from me, my family, and my daughter. And I was so strengthened by it. Also, a family brought to us as a gift, they brought a package of apples. And that was the first gift we got, a package of apples. And I wasn't sure if it was for me or, or for you know, anybody else who's going to come and visit, but you know what? The second time I went in to see Ella to see how she's doing, she was starting to calm down with her breathing. I said, is there anything that you want? They put a feeding tube in. Is there anything you want? And she said, I want an apple. And I thought, wow. This family didn't know she needed apples or wanted them, but they brought them. Because I believe God knew exactly what Ella would need. And as soon as Ella got permission to eat an apple, that was the first apple, Frank, that I carved out, cut up for her, and she ate it. Somebody else gave us money, left us an envelope of money. And I thought, wow, that's... I haven't seen money before. I've seen... I've seen uh, flowers and food and things like that, but nobody's ever given me money. But you know what? So many times, something came up. We had to go down to the Transmart or somewhere to get something, and we forgot our wallets. We forgot our... But somebody gave us money, and we were able to use that to buy what we needed. God worked for us. God provided for us through all of your hands. All of you that came, you demonstrated love with your hands. The Bible says in our verse that we are to be hospitable, take care of not only each other, but even strangers, even people that you don't know. Sometimes when I walk into a hospital and I pray for someone, as I'm walking out, there are so many people there, so many children there, and I can't help but pause for a moment and just pray for this child. And I walk and I pause for a moment and I don't even know who they are, but I just pray for them that God will be merciful and gracious to them. But the Bible says here that when we entertain some, unwittingly, unknowingly, you may be entertaining who? Angels. Wow. Angels. What does that mean? To me, it can mean one of two things. Either... It means literally, you never know. That person that you minister to might be an angel. Why? Because maybe God sent the angel to test your heart or to bring out love or to bring out faith in you. I, I don't know. I know in the Old Testament when Abraham saw three men coming to him, his first thought was, I want to take care of them. And so he had food brought and something to drink and he got them a place to sit and it turned out, unknowingly to him, two of them were angels. One of them was the Lord himself. In the New Testament, the two disciples who were walking on the road, 
After Jesus died and rose again, they didn't know he was risen. As they're walking, here comes Jesus walking next to them and they had no idea it was him. And he asked them about what had happened. And they shared their grief with him. And then he began to tell them all that the scriptures had said. That the Messiah had to die and to raise again. They fell in love with this guy. And they said, come to our house and eat with us. He sat at a table with them. And the Bible says that Jesus, they still didn't know it was him. He took bread in front of them and he broke it. And then he was gone. And the loaves of bread just fell on the table. And then they knew it was Jesus all along. I don't know. I don't go around looking for angels. Uh, I don't do that, but I, I remember one time when I was young, and I don't remember all the details of this story anymore, but I remember my father when I was maybe eight years old. My father was in his office at the church studying. And my father said out of nowhere, this was this was something that never happened before. A man just simply walked into my father's office, just right through the door. There was a secretary area that you would go through before my dad's office. This guy just showed up out of nowhere. And by the looks of him, he looked, looked like a homeless man. Maybe the look, maybe the smell. My dad knew this is a homeless man. And all he said was, sir, do you have any money so I can eat? First response from my dad was a response of love, which if you know my dad, that's always his first response. And so whatever money he had, he took it out and gave it to the man. He talked to him, I think, for a minute or so, and then the man just walked out. And I believe in the story, at some point, my dad thought, where did he come from? And so my father went out, went outside the church, and nowhere. And I remember my dad telling me at the age of eight, who knows? Who knows? That could have been an angel to test the heart of my father. So it could be literally, you never know. That person who needs your help, that person that you meet in life, could be an angel there to test you. Or the word angel comes from the Greek word angelos, and it simply means a messenger. And that's what the angels are. They're spirits from heaven who are messengers of God to us and ministers of God to us. And so it may not mean literally angelic beings who come from heaven. It could mean messengers. Even in the Bible, the pastors in the book of Revelation were called angelos. But it's translated to the angel of the church of Ephesus. But what Jesus is talking about is the pastor of the church. The one who brings the message of God. Today, I'm the messenger to bring God's word to you. And it may mean that sometimes in life, God will introduce you somehow, some way, in a way that his sovereign hands can do. And depending on how you interact with that person, you never know what God might do as a result of that. Many years ago, I knew that Pastor Subekti needed to go to America for a while and needed a place to stay. And so we were asked, my wife and I, we were just married, just moved into a new house, and then we said, of course. He and his wife, and at the time, uh, Sifera, 
they came to our house and so we just, I mean, we loved having them and I loved having conversations with them. And looking back now, it's because of that interaction that he and I had with each other that led me to be a pastor of Alpha Omega International many years after the fact. You never know what God might do when you begin to act out in love towards somebody else. It may lead to a great blessing from God in the future. You never know. Friday night, the youth got together as they often do on a Friday night. And usually there's a time of fellowship, a time of singing, devotion together, and just having fun with each other. And while this past Friday night they got together, instead of the fellowship and the fun and all the other things they do, they instead concentrated on making a card for Ella. And it was a card, it was, it was many cards that were put together. And each one of the kids, they, they wrote a poem, they drew pictures, they put things. It was such a beautiful card. And when Yaya came to the hospital Friday night, she delivered the card. And so we all gathered around Ella's bed and we were all reading through it. Some of it was funny. Some of it, I don't know who drew some of these pictures, but it was fantastic. Uh, and so we were looking through it and, and just being thankful for it. And as I'm looking down at the card, I saw a teardrop hit the card. And when I looked up, it was Ella crying. Crying because she now knew that there are other young people who love her and care about her. That card was an act of love. Young people, well done for what you did for my daughter. Well done. I told them, as I texted them to thank them for what they did, I said, your fruit of love, your fruit of love is the joy now in my daughter. And not only that, not only did they touch my daughter with great joy and comfort, for me, the father, to see that touched me. And all those who were gathered around Ella, it touched all of us because of what they did. And I don't know if you knew just how far your love would go, but love goes far when it's done in the name of Jesus. Here's something to remember. The fruit of your love, what you do out of love, the fruit of your love is someone else's joy and comfort. And the reward for your love is in heaven. Because God promises us in Hebrews, I will not forget your labor of love. I will never forget what you have done for somebody else. You never know just how far an act of love will go. I read a quote not too long ago. In fact, it made me hungry for an apple this morning, which I ate. It says, anyone can count the number of seeds in a single apple. You know, just break it open and you can count it. Anyone can count the number of seeds in a single apple, but only God knows the number of apples that will grow from a single seed. You can open an apple and count them one by one, but only God knows if you plant that one seed in the future, how many apples that one seed is going to produce. Your seed 
of love. You might think it was something small, but it will yield a great fruit in somebody else's life. Late at night, on Monday, I believe it was, Felix came late at night and brought me some Wendy's. And I said to him, listen, I, I can't even eat. I am so emotional. I'm so filled with anxiety. I just can't even eat right now. And then when I found out that Ella is tremendously and miraculously well, I suddenly got hungry and I ate that burger as fast as humanly possible. And all the fries and everything else. Felix, you showed me love. Thank you. Last one, number three, the art of love. The art of love. And I say the art of love because have you ever been to an art gallery to go and look at paintings? Now, I do that, and I'll go and look at a painting of a bowl of fruit, and I'll say, wow, that fruit actually looks real. Or a painting of a scenery, and I say, wow, the, the, the trees look nice. And that's about all I can do. But there are others who can look at a painting and know what was in the heart of the painter. They can see something in that. They, the, the emotions, the mind, they can even sense sadness or joy. I don't know how to do that. I look at a painting and say, there's a lot of blue in this. There's a lot of yellow. That's all I can do. But maybe it takes an artist to recognize another artist's emotion in the painting. When it comes to love, there's an art of love. When you show love, there's something deep inside that maybe someone else can't quite see, but it's there. And it helps stir up your love for one another. And so our last verse says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. In other words, those who are mistreated because you yourselves are being mistreated. You know what it's like. But look at that. It doesn't just say, remember the prisoners. Remember your brothers and sisters who are locked up in jail. Remember your pastor who's in the hospital right now, whose daughter needs God to save her. It doesn't just say, remember only. Look what it says. Remember them as if, as if you were chained with them in prison. Remember that sick person as if you were also sick with the same disease. Remember that person as though, as if it was your child who was suffering. Because how many times have you been asked to pray? And I can remember 20 years ago before I had any children at all and I knew somebody's child needed prayer, of course I would pray, of course. But I've learned to pray differently since having my own child. Why? Because I know how it feels. Brother Dean just came to me before service started and he says, I know how it feels to have a daughter in a dangerous situation. I believe Colleen had that somewhere in life. He knows how it feels because he's walked in those same experiences. So you may not have walked in the exact same experience as another, but when you pray for somebody, 
if you find out that there's a father whose daughter is in the hospital. Fathers, pray for that daughter as though it's your daughter that you're praying for. And I guarantee your prayer will be much more fervent, much more urgent. I believe there will be tears in your eyes and you will cry out to God. And to me, that is a powerful way to pray. And it's how we are commanded to remember them and pray for them. This is how Jesus ministered to people on earth. He identified with the weakness and the suffering of others. And through that, He demonstrated love and mercy. And thank God that still today, He still knows what you go through. He still knows what hurting is like and what suffering is like. And He's there for you every step of the way. There's a difference in your thoughts and in your prayers for others when you have walked close to their experience. And so as God brings you through suffering and then He brings you out, I believe one day He's going to introduce you to someone who's suffering like you did so that you will know how to pray and to pray with urgency in their life. Today I can look at many of you and there are many married couples here and maybe you need prayer. I know what it's like to be married and to have need of prayer. There are many of you that have children who have been sick. I know, believe me, I know what it's like, especially now, to have a sick child in need. Many of you are still in the, the dating realm. And believe it or not, I also dated before. I dated the wrong person before till I found my queen, my princess. Hira, and I know what it's like to be sick. Many of us know. So let us pray for one another as if you were in that suffering with them. And so I always encourage our young people, everybody here, when God brings you through something, remember what He has done, and then you will know how to pray for others going through the same situation. Thank you for the love that you showed to me and to my family. I'm so thankful for God, and I truly believe that God saved a woman's life so that she could give the exact uh, instructions to save my daughter. Which means, when all this happened, God didn't go, oh no, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? No. Somewhere years ago, somewhere, God was already providing the way so that my daughter would be alive today. Musicians, would you come? And Pastor Daniel, we're going to prepare for communion. This love that we have for each other, let this love continue. Don't just talk good things about love. Show it to somebody who's in need of it. Love bears all things. Love is kind and it's patient. Love doesn't become jealous. Love doesn't bring up the wrongdoings of the past. Love loves beyond those things. And let us learn to love one another and to minister to one another as though we ourselves are with them in the suffering. 
How good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend, whose love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. Tis Jesus, the first and the last, whose spirit shall guide us safe home. We'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that is to come. Blessed be our God. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for teaching us about love. And I pray, oh God, we will indeed love one another as Jesus loves us. And as we are about to enter into communion, let us remember we are doing this together, united by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you are the Savior of my daughter, spiritually speaking, and that you saved her life on Monday. Demonstrate your great power among us. Whoever is in need of today, whoever is in need of something miraculous, hear me today. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Blessed be God in Jesus' name. Amen.